Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would speak to us this morning by the presence and power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we continue our sermon series entitled The Baptized Life. This series is based on the lectionary readings in the Gospels, mainly in Mark's Gospel during this season of Epiphany. These readings help us to understand our identity as those who have put on Christ's death and resurrection in baptism and define and shape who we are to be and what we are to do as those who have been baptized. We began two weeks ago with the baptism of Christ, and we recalled our own baptisms, and in particular, how profoundly important it is to remember that we are beloved. Good. We are beloved. Last week, we saw Jesus calling Philip and Nathaniel. That was actually in John's gospel, and how Philip invited his brother to come and see, and how Nathaniel indeed came to see the one who saw him, Jesus, who could see through his skepticism, skepticism and into his very heart and soul. Well, this week we're back in Mark's gospel where we'll stay for the rest of this uh, season of Epiphany. And we join the narrative after John the baptizer has been arrested. Mark doesn't give us any detail. He gets straight to the point, straight to the focus, straight to Jesus. Mark writes, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee. I don't know whether you have a mental picture of Galilee. Maybe you can just think about that. What would you imagine? Um, but I would guess some of you are probably thinking of a beautiful, peaceful lake, maybe with the sunshine dancing off the water. Getting the picture? And if that's what you're thinking, um, you'd be right. At least that was certainly my first impression of Lake Galilee when I visited there almost 30 years ago. Except that is probably not how Galilee would have been in Jesus' day. Now, sure, there was still the lake, and I'm sure the sun still glistened off the water and all that stuff, and I'm sure there were beautiful, peaceful spots along the shoreline. But, writes Stuart Blanche, a former Archbishop of York, Galilee was the center of a humming political and commercial life. It stood at the crossroads of the nations of the ancient world, through which the armies and the traders and the diplomats passed. There, some of the greatest battles of the world had been fought. Galilee was the home of a thoroughly cosmopolitan population. Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic would all be heard at the markets. Syrian, Jew, Roman, Parthian mixed freely. It was a land of passing excitements and dangerous fashions of a barbarous dialect and offensive manners. Okay, bit of a different picture. The point is, right at the start of Jesus' ministry, we see him, we encounter him in a busy, bustling place marked by racial tension, by conflict and unrest. That's the context. And what is he doing? He is proclaiming the good news of God. 
So let's take a closer look this morning at what Jesus says. First, he says, the time is fulfilled. This is a very strong, deliberate, and important statement. You must remember when you read Mark's gospel, it's so short, it's the shortest gospel by a long way, that Mark uses his words economically. And so he says very important things in very few words. And this is one of those things. The time is fulfilled, he's reporting what Jesus says. Something's happening. Something new. Something long promised is coming to fulfillment in Jesus. Indeed, Jesus is the one from the Old Testament, or rather the one that the Old Testament has been pointing towards. The story of the Bible has been building to the entrance of Jesus. And Jesus came to ensure that the good news of God's salvation would extend beyond the borders of Israel. Okay, second, the text tells us, Jesus says, the kingdom of God has come near. Jesus himself was bringing about the kingdom of God. He was heralding in the rule and reign of God. God was and is in the process of restoring his righteous rule. One day, he will make all things new. Notice how that's phrased. It's not one day he will make all, thing, all new things. It's he will make all things new. One day there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or sickness. One day there will be this new, restored heaven and earth. Well, after those two opening statements, Jesus then has two exhortations. Just as there is specific content to the gospel, to the good news of God, there is also a specific response that is called for. First, Jesus says, repent. And repent, as we saw with the children, means to change direction, to turn around. And in this context, it means to turn away from wrong thinking and doing. You know, I think sometimes people wrongly think that repentance is about feeling sorry or guilty for something that we've said or done or failed to do or say. Now, of course, guilt and shame and conviction of our own selfishness may well be a precursor to repentance. But Jesus, first and foremost, is not exhorting us to feel bad, but rather to take action and to turn away from sin. And second, Jesus says, believe in the good news. Just as repentance involves action over feeling, so belief here involves commitment and action over mere intellectual assent. The message that Jesus brought had real content and real challenge. And it was good stuff. It was surprisingly refreshing, and it was really, really good news. And Jesus himself was bringing this news, living this news, embodying, embodying this news. Indeed, he was the good news. Jesus was God breaking into the world, the eternal word made flesh, 
was in Galilee, talking, eating, teaching, listening, laughing, walking about. Jesus had come at a particular time to a particular place, and he was in time fulfilling all that had been prophesied long before. And the good news was also challenging with its call to change, to repentance, and to belief. And like we saw last week with the calling of Philip and Nathaniel, so this week we see that the good news of Jesus calls for a response. And so here we see Jesus calling two more sets of brothers, four fishermen, Simon and Andrew, and James and John. And he says to them, follow me. And they do. Jesus clearly had great presence and great authority. But note also that Jesus called these men to a particular task. You know, I think sometimes Christians mistakenly believe that the job of a believer is simply to, you know, live a good life, be nice to others, and get ready for heaven. But that is not the call that God places on our lives. The task of those who would follow after Jesus is, as he says to Simon and Andrew, it is to fish for people. Our job is to tell others about Jesus, to tell others about the good news of God, to demonstrate to others that the kingdom of God has drawn near. But why? I mean, why should we fish for people? Well, Jesus tells us to. That ought to be a good enough reason right there. Well, that's true. It probably ought to be. But I still think it's okay to ask why. What do you suppose is the driving, motivating reason that you and I should fish for people? I think it is because, like us, those other people, those other fish in the sea, are beloved. They're beloved. For God so loved the world. God doesn't just love the Christian. He loves the Jew and the Muslim, the agnostic and the atheist. The good news of God is good news for all. And if it's true at all, it's true for all. That the world may know Jesus. Jesus who came to proclaim good news for the poor, liberty to the captive, sight to the blind, freedom to the oppressed. And so, hear God's voice again this morning saying to you, you are beloved. The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God has come near, and hear him calling you to fish for people. Following Jesus and fishing for people is the fruit of repentance. It's the demonstration that repentance has happened and that our belief is real. That's what true discipleship is really all about. Discipleship is not gaining more head knowledge. It's about walking the walk, 
walking in the dust of the rabbi, as someone put it. It's a lifelong journey of following Jesus. It's, to use a phrase of Eugene Peterson, a long obedience in the same direction. You know, we hear a lot in the church, at least in some quarters and in our own, about the importance of discipleship. I certainly think that discipleship is extremely important. But let me say this also. If, when we talk about discipleship, we are thinking or talking only about classes or lectures or books or study, then we're in danger of missing the point. Please don't misunderstand me. There's definitely a place for serious study and for increasing our knowledge of the Scriptures. Indeed, I would go so far to say as if you are not reading and studying and taking advantage of the many good teaching opportunities, whether here at Ascension or at Trinity School for Ministry or online or in all manner of good places, if we're not taking advantage of that, I think you're making a huge mistake. If we're not daily reading God's Word, how can we ever expect to know Jesus? And yet, for many of us, we don't have a head problem. We don't have a knowledge problem. We have a heart problem. Our hearts, our longings, our desires, our deepest yearnings are often going unfulfilled and are very often misdirected. Why do you suppose that is? I think, at least in part, it is because we have lost our first love for God. We're so busy, we're so distracted, that while we call ourselves disciples, while we are disciples, we're not actually following Jesus in the day-to-day -day routines of our lives very often. And so I wonder this morning whether for you and for me, we need to listen up. We need to hear this familiar, maybe over-familiar call to repentance. Maybe it's for us. What if it is us who need to turn around? I don't know whether you were listening when we had that reading from Jeremiah this morning, but it's God speaking, and he's speaking of his beloved his chosen people. And God says, I thought you would call me my father and would not turn from following me. Instead, as a faithless wife leaves her husband, so you have been faithless to me, O house of Israel. And God calls out to his beloved people, Return, O faithless children. I will heal your faithlessness. And you see, this is the message of God that we find again and again and again. This is part of why it's actually such good news. Because even though we are faithless, he is faithful. Even though we're constantly messing up, he is constantly looking out for us, longing for us to repent, to return, to come back to him. That's a glimpse into the heart of God. 
And then a little bit later in that passage, in Jeremiah 4.4, we heard that rather strange-sounding phrase. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord, remove the foreskin of your hearts. Physical circumcision was the outward sign of God's covenant with his people. But God has always been concerned not merely about outward signs, but about what's going on in our hearts, about our inner lives, our inner longings, our inner desires. And so in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, for example, we read, Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul in order that you may live. And in the New Testament, we encounter St. Paul talking about the very same thing in his letter to the Romans. Paul explains that Jewish circumcision is an outward sign of being set apart for God, of belonging to God's covenant people, a sign of the, the fact that they are beloved. However, if the heart is sinful, then what's the use of physical circumcision? A circumcised body and a sinful heart are at odds with each other. And so let's accelerate from the Old Testament and the Old Covenant to the New. And so for us who are baptized, who have received our outward and visible sign of God's covenant faithfulness and love that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, if we only have the outward and visible sign, but our hearts are far from him, then we have a problem. Now, while there is value, as I said two weeks ago, in knowing and declaring, I am baptized, that is not something we say to justify or excuse our complacency or, or our indifference to God. Let us rather say, I am baptized as a reminder and a remembrance of our baptisms, and that as baptized people called to live the baptized life, we are to do so walking in the footsteps of Jesus. So remember that you are sealed in baptism and marked as Christ's own forever. ever. And remember that so that if your heart has become calloused, if your heart is turned away from God, then return to him. I wonder what has grown up around your heart that needs, to use the metaphor of circumcision, the knife that will remove it. Or to use the metaphor of baptism that needs to be washed clean again. Where is it that you need to repent? Now, if any of this is making sense to you this morning, if there's any sense of longing to be right with God, of wanting your heart to be turned back to him, well, can I just say that's a great place to be in. As the psalmist reminds us, there is forgiveness with God. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits for him. In his word is my hope. For with the Lord there is mercy, with him there is plenteous redemption. And so all that is to say is that I think discipleship 
has something to do with our desires and our longings and whether we are truly longing for God. It has something to do with waiting for God and returning to God. And of course, it has everything to do with following Jesus and fishing for people. So let us once again declare today, I am baptized. I am marked as Christ's own forever. I will follow Jesus. I will fight valiantly against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And I will fish for people. And when I falter and fail, stutter and stumble, I will return to the Lord who longs for us to call him my Father. And I will remember that I am beloved. Hear him calling to you today, proclaiming the good news of God. Jesus calls you to repent and believe in him. He calls you to follow him and to tell others about him. And so I wonder, how will you respond to God's call? Will you repent? Will you believe? Will you fish for people? May God increase in us a heart for those who are far off and those who are lost. May he stir up in us motivating compassion and love for those who've never heard or seen or experienced this good news that Jesus came to bring. The kingdom of God has come near. The time is now. Repent and believe in Jesus. Follow him. Fish for people. Amen.